Hello and welcome to episode 246 of SMARTS, which as you know stands for Starman Makes Appearance, Resurrected, Tracking Stripesy. Ooh, very good. Thank you. Um, I am your host, Julia Gulia of Internet Fame, Dash Podcaster, and with me as always is Trevor, aka Rudiger Q Podcaster. Hello. Hi. You have any news for us? There's a little bit of news. Oh boy! So we first have a little bit of TV news. So it was a little ambiguous at the end of last season. I think we even talked about it, mm-hmm. um, about whether on Legends of Tomorrow, about whether Astro would be coming back next season oh. as a series regular. And yep. in fact, she will be. So the actress Olivia Swan has been promoted to, actually, she was a regular this season also. So she's going to continue to be a regular. She's just going to continue to stay on the ship because it was a little unclear as right. to whether she'd be leaving to start her new life or something, but she's going to stay on the show. That's awesome. Yay. Good. The other news we have is uh, not so good. There I'm was worried a, about this. There was just yesterday, there was a report of a massive round of layoffs at uh, DC Entertainment. Okay. So large swaths of their editorial division, as well as pretty much their entire uh, toy slash collectible division, and pretty much everybody at the DC Universe service have been laid off. What? Some wow. reports put it as up to like a third of the, of the like full-time employees of the company. It's not including... You know, people like the writers and the artists who are not technically employees of the company, if you know what I mean. They're they're freelancers Mm -hmm. and some of them have, you know, exclusive contracts or whatever, but they're still not. Right. We're talking when we say employees, we're talking about people that go work at D.C. offices every day, not people who email scripts in every couple of weeks. You know what I mean? Right. Um, So it's not like they laid off half of their writers. They, Mm -hmm. They laid off a lot of the editorial and other staff. And then, like I said, the collectibles division and. DC Universe. So a lot of longtime editors are gone. Um, I guess the collectibles division isn't going to be a thing anymore. And this is the strongest indication yet that the DC Universe service is not going to continue, that everything is just going to be folded into HBO Max. Whoa. Um, so yeah, so there's not really much more to add. I mean, there's not... Jim Lee is apparently still retaining his position. Um, there's, they're promoting from within a couple of other people who were not previously senior editors to be senior editors because you can't not have editors you know you need an editor for the superman books and so on yep um but yeah this is a particularly hard time for you know it's not a great time to be out mm-hmm. of work yeah. you know they're to be laying a lot of people off but I, I imagine that their dc's bottom line has been hit by the oh, pandemic yeah. and even if it hadn't the whole you know at&t acquisition and you know turning into warner media and then the hbo max thing happening i think that the there's there's been a lot of shoes left to drop as far as like well there's a lot of perceived redundancy and streamlining that could be that could be done you know right uh, they just all had to ha- it just all happened at once and at the worst possible time mm-hmm. um, but that's just the way it goes sometimes uh, you know the it's not like the company is going away or anything but this is definitely the biggest uh, yeah. reduction in in staff that the company's had in probably a very long time decades if if not ever so it's right. a pretty big pretty big thing so i mean it's it's not it's probably not going to affect much day-to-day stuff immediately i mean like i say dc universe is probably not going to be around a year from now i i imagine we might see further um streamlining of the line like i imagine we might see some the, you know, the number of ongoing series they publish might slim down a little, at least for a while. Um, and I imagine that we're probably going to continue to see, there were rumors about like further shifts in their publishing plan, you know, in, in addition to the current stuff, which is like a, a really big push for digital exclusive stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that they might continue to move in and and of course severing the relationship with uh, with Diamond and moving right. to to alternative uh, distribution partners that there could be more stuff along that lines about phasing out um, about deprioritizing the what's called the direct market which is to say comic book shops even more in favor of uh, sales to places like Walmart and digital stuff yep um, so those are just rumors that uh, at the, for the time being but it does make a certain amount of sense that a lot of this could be happening in conjunction with a change in focus for the publishing initiatives mm-hmm. that they have so we'll just have to wait and see but it'll be a while before we sort of see the fallout of this and the stuff we read in terms of there being fewer books or mm-hmm. um or a, a shift from you know like 80 percent physical and 20 percent digital to maybe 50 50 or maybe even more in terms of like where original content gets published first for us it doesn't make much of a difference because we read everything digitally anyway mm-hmm. and Unless you're paying attention, you don't really even notice if you're reading a. Aside from like, oh well, these are. In, it's more of a difference between what's in continuity and what's not versus what's what's digital and what isn't. To, right to you because yeah. it's all digital. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Obviously, it's too bad you don't like to see this kind of uh, you know these kinds of math mass layoffs. Yeah. Um, but it, I only mention it because it's going to have bearing on. You know, it's going to have a bearing on on us and the stuff that we consume eventually, be it DC Universe or or the comics line itself. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see. It's it's unfortunate timing, though, because of this DC fandom event uh, in a couple of weeks where they're going to hype everybody up for upcoming shows and movies and video games and comics and everything. It's kind of put a bit of a damper on that because mm-hmm. a lot of the people that work to bring those projects to fruition are now looking for work, right? So, right. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's not the best timing, but I don't know. Yeah, you think maybe would have I don't know would it have been better to wait for that to happen and then announce this the week after? I'm not sure if that's I mean they're both neither is a great look, but I'm not sure if there's really a a good way to do that. But you know, right. anyway, wow. we'll have to wait and see what comes of it. But it's obviously too bad. Wow, yeah, that's a bummer. So, what was your comic of the week? Um, yeah, so this week I'm still reeling from that news. That's crazy. Um, this week I picked Strange Adventures issue number four. Is it four? Yes. Great. Um, I really like this issue because we get to see um, a lot of what uh, Mr. Terrific is up to in terms of continuing his investigation. And I like that he goes all the way to Ran only to be fed a whole bunch of propaganda and what seems to be just cover up. Um, and he learns an entire language on the way, which is great because they were saying, oh, we have all these documents, but they're useless. So you should definitely not think about them at all or put them right out of your mind, teehee, because even our top, top scholars can't even crack these codes. It's so complex. And so he says, um, you know, <laughs> show me the damn documents in picked, which is fantastic. And I, I don't know. I just I'm a, I'm a sucker for codes and languages, so um, that that hit my sweet spot right there. But also, I love seeing Mister Terrific read through the BS and not take any crap from anybody, which is beautiful. Because <laughs> when he gets smacked in the face by a dignitary and he smacks him back, he says, "I you hit me, I hit you." What do you think fair play means? That was such great writing. It just it made me so very happy. So. Um, well, I'm I'm excited to see where this goes and where this is headed and why Alana is in his apartment at the end of the issue because that's a that's a curiosity as well. Um, but yeah, I'm very much enjoying it and I can't wait for the next issue. 
Mm-hmm. How about you? Would you pick? So I would have picked it also, but I kind of knew you were going to pick it. So I want to give honorable mentions to um, Injustice Year Zero, number one, uh, which was great. It's a great prequel to the Injustice comics, and I've it's been too long since I've seen the JLA and the JSA kick back and have fun and a big party together. It's mm-hmm. always one of my favorite things to see, and there's a, lo- a bunch of great, you know, Flash, Flash stuff here, and Batman, Wildcat stuff, and yeah. and. Um, or is it Alan Scott? I think an amazing man come walk in in a conversation between Superman and Batman and give them some perspective. And I always love those those um, dynamics, you know, mm-hmm. because it's very often you the characters in the Justice League are perceived as being the pinnacle, and especially you know Superman and Batman are there and they're having this discussion. And then the idea that there's this whole other group of people that is you know as silly as an old fashioned as some of their costumes and names might be that they walk in and Superman looks up to all of these people without exception, you know, like I've always thought that to be a really cool dynamic, you know, that these are people that they look up to him because he's kind of like, they sort of see him as, you know, as the culmination of everything they were, they were trying to do. Like, you know, they were kind of in retrospect, sort of paving the way for him, but he obviously wouldn't see himself as the pinnacle of anything. He Mm -hmm. looks up to these people that paved the way for him as being the true originators of all this. Uh, so I always find that that dynamic really interesting. But just the fun stuff about Wildcat, you know, warning Batman not to use any tactical attack bees, <laughs> yeah. or, or, or tactical attack bats, and Batman's like tactical attack bats. He's like, look, man, I don't, I don't keep I don't up with what, what you're into. Doing. Just fight. Um, so just great stuff <laughs> that like that. Weird. I really enjoy. Wait, the two flashes uh, slowing down time and so having some popcorn, some popcorn, and he goes, yeah. I, I can ba- smell the popcorn. How does popcorn, he like, know? <laughs> And I also wanted to give honorable mention to uh, the first issue of The Dreaming Waking Hours, which is a really good follow-up to the Dreaming series, which, en- which ended just a couple of months ago. I think this is going to be a limited series, but either way, it, it's got a, it's an interesting way of following up. It's got a, It introduces new characters. Its scope seems to be much more focused. You know, you've got this one resident of the Dreaming and this one human, and their paths intercross in this interesting way. And you see the other characters there, like Dream is there and Lucian and so on. And I imagine like Matthew the Raven and will pop in and Merv I'm sure is around but maybe we'll even see Dora again mm-hmm. but um but it's <clears throat> it's a more focused mm-hmm. not quite a sprawling story which is probably good to have as like a little palate cleanser follow-up from the big epic that was the previous streaming series so I'm mm-hmm. really enjoying it so far yeah me too so yeah. you want you ready for your quiz slash activity? I am ready. So this week, uh, because last time we ranked the enterprises mm-hmm. this time I thought we would rank the uh, the non-Enterprise uh, flagship ships of Star Trek series. Okay? Okay. So this includes the Defiant. Good. Voyager. Okay. Discovery. Okay. La Serena. Ooh. The, Ceri- the Cerritos. Mm-hmm. And the HMS Bounty, which of course you will recall as the captured Klingon vessel that the original series crew um, boarded and captured in the search for Spock and then later piloted on their mission back in time to save the whales in Star Trek 4. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that counts as a, you know, sure. as one of the main ships because it was the Commandeered. featured ship in two different movies. That's true. Okay. All right. right? That's All as many, right. as, That's as, many as the J.J. The, the J. Abrams. Well, I guess no. The J.J. Abrams Enterprise got two and a half before it got blowed up, didn't it? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. But still, I take your meaning. Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, let's see. Okay, so first and foremost, I think from that bunch. Um, oh, that's tough. 
All right, just I'm going to go basing. I assume it's sort of down to defined and voyager for your number one and number two. I would assume just out of familiarity and affection. I do, oh, but I'm trying to figure out what metric to use to like it because, like, my affinity for the show. If I start ranking the shows, well, just what's your favorite ship? Right. So, because you put like, of the you ship. put like the NX01 pretty high up in your Enterprise rankings, and you probably don't like it as much as you probably don't like Enterprise the show as much as some of the other shows that were. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The ship itself was pretty good. So that's why I'm saying, like, I love the Defiant for all the memories, but I really don't like the layout of the ship because the bridge is so teeny, so very teeny. Everything feels a little cramped. Um, so it's not going to go super high on the ranking just for that reason. But at the same time, it does make for um, a more intimate bridge. So that's cool. Um, this is so nerdy. This is such a nerdy topic. <laughs> Uh, I really like the layout of the La Serena, though. Um, you know what? That's my favorite ship because I think I really like the open, open concept <laughs> design like, of I it. I like the interior of the yeah. La Serena a lot, but but if you put a gun to my head, I couldn't tell you what the, what it looked like from the outside just sitting here right now. Like oh, I'd, I'd probably be able to pick it out of a lineup, but it's it's exterior probably intentionally to a certain degree because yeah. it's not supposed to be some iconic. Starfleet ship it's supposed to be this dinky little smuggling vessel basically or transport vessel or whatever it was originally repurposed from right yeah so it kind of stands to reason that it wouldn't stand out that much but it doesn't exactly lend itself to iconic and you're absolutely right but you're right I can I can I can if anything I think I have a better sense even after just a few short Mm -hmm. episodes of the layout of the bridge of the La Serena more than the bridge of say the Discovery Yes. Which I also really like the look I of, do. but it has so much more going on that I would struggle to like tell you who, you know what I mean? Like right. where certain things are in relation to other things. Yeah. Aside from the general, like that's where ops is, that's where the right. comm is, that's where security sits, that's where, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's where the captain's chair is. Um, so La Serena is your favorite then? Or did I did I give you pause by reminding you that I can, neither of us can, can probably tell you what it looks like? You did give me pause because the outside, I don't know what it's it really kind of, looks it's like. Got I mean, some it, red it, on it, I think, and yeah, also like some, some sort of bronzish colors. Red, but. bronzish, silver, all of that going. going. Yeah, and the funny thing is because they did show it. Do you remember when? Well, they showed the it a end? lot. I just sure. can't remember. It. I know. I know. Not super memorable. Um, so here's here's my ranking. Are you ready? I think I've forged it. I am going to choose Voyager. You've left forged it. I know I did. <laughs> I was right there too. Um, I'm going to choose Voyager as my number one because mm-hmm. I really like the outside of the ship. It, it's so warm and cute and round, but also functional. It's a, it's a, it's it's a, a great it's design. A great it's design. really sleek. It's got cool mm-hmm. things about it, like the way the nacelles sort of go up and down. Just flare up a little bit. The way, it's, yeah. the way it can land. So like the landing yeah. gear comes out. The way it's got like, even though it never really, they never really made much of it. There's cool things about the interior too. Yes. About how it's got like the bioneural gel packs. And so the ship is like partially organic in some ways, right? They ne- you know, they get I into mean, it sometimes. Like the ship would get a virus sometimes. That's true. But they never really explained. It, it improves processing speed or whatever but you know just cool cool nerdy stuff like that that they didn't really do much with but kind of makes it stand out it has an astro lab that's cool astrometrics well seven built seven built that that wasn't exactly up to spec i don't care that's great but yeah that was a cool new thing that it had although Um, the enterprise d was refitted with an astrometrics uh lab for the movies too where Picard and Data sit and figure out what uh Sauron's plan is as far as right um, based on the trajectory of where they were yeah yeah that's cool um 
so but i i really do you know why because i think that's my favorite bridge also it's very star trekky it has space it has movement it, ha- it makes sense it has a it has an agreeable sense of chi if you can if you can imagine the sim- symmetry the roundness the space um i like i like the layout and i feel like we know where we're going when we exit one door another door another door like we know where the parts lead we see a lot of it and i i feel like the other parts of the ship of the doctor's um med bay and um where seven sleeps in the retrofitted um cargo room that becomes her quarters and um and the the little crew quarters and where uh naomi wildman spends yeah, most of her see, time you got to see <gasps> do a you lot think of... we'll see naomi wildman oh my god that uh, would be great and seeing, adult naomi i was wildman. seeing someone speculate that like <gasps> captain wildman might show up in picard or something like that oh, it'd be nice it'd be too thing. soon for like lower decks because they've only Naomi would still right. only be like eight or something like that in lower right. decks. It's only like two years. I'm after surprised Voyager that you returned. put the Cerritos on the thing, given that we've only seen it once and it's. But it an counts. A week ago, I wouldn't have included it, but it counts. <laughs> it's, it's the it's the flagship ship of of a of a of a major of a Star televised Trek Star Trek series. show. Yeah, so okay. got included. Well, okay, so that's my. That so Voyager's number one. Voyager's number one is Defiant number two. By, no, I'm gonna have to go with. Um, you know what? Discovery is my number two because I do like the bridge. I like the various parts. It's that got we a saw. lot of cool stuff about it. Has it has so many cool high tech things. The production design is so cool I love inside. how Pike. The spore drive, the way that the, stop, the stop way that talking. the ring of the saucer spins yes, around when it's using it. the spore drive. Yeah. The way it kind of goes and like flips and inverts and, 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 yeah. and then yeah goes down the mycelial yeah. network. That whole thing works for me. Um, I like the way that it fits within the rest of the world. It's just it's really cool, like top to bottom, no pun intended. I like the engineering bay and and the combination oh, the of the, spore, the spore. Yeah, the spore. I'm not sure we've Spore ever Bay. actually seen main engineering because we with the no we've seen it have yeah. we seen main engineering we've seen parts the spore lab we've parts seen the spore lab no we saw parts of uh, main engineering in the episode where they, they were time traveling or something uh, obviously um um but one of the it was like a criminal mystery somebody got murdered at some point do you remember the doors open somebody went through um and, and got vaporized because it was like an atomic situation and and it had no, like manual overdrive anyway, i don't remember any of this um anyway uh yada 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 we saw parts of it we didn't see the whole thing but i don't think they they showed us like a really like this is the warp core and this is where engineering stands yeah it's not as clear-cut as it is on voyager um that's another thing to love about voyager their engineering makes a lot of spatial reasoning like sense anyway so it goes so it's voyager discovery then it's la serena because i really love the interior of the ship uh, I like the layout. It makes a lot of sense to me. I like the fact that it's got nice open windows so you get really clear visibility of where you're going. And it's also got these high-tech features. Um, I just I just dig the design. I like it. Um, then the Defiant because of sentimental reasons and all the little things that I saw on the ship, I really enjoy. We don't really see... Deep Space Nine covers a lot of ground, but it doesn't really spend a lot of time in the Defiant. I almost, you know what I, I mean? almost included Deep Space Nine, the station, as one of the... Oh, but it's not a ship, technically. I know, a, but it yeah. is the titular vessel is vessel. not the word. <laughs> no, it is. Why, why not? Because the station, it could move, but it wasn't really... Anyway, just out of curiosity, if I'd included the station, would it have been? Would it have beaten that Voyager as number one? I don't think That's got so much. I, you I want to talk about character. Yeah, that thing's got more character than Voyager character. did, I would argue. Has a whole, yeah, has a whole promenade Ops, and everything. Quark's Bar, Cisco's yeah. Office, mm-hmm. the promenade. No, everybody's... The, the living quarters, the yeah. docks, everything is really fascinating and interesting. Even the... Um, we spend even some time in the pipelines when, you know, spy missions are going around. You remember? Yeah. Um, you get to know the the vessel, as it were. But 
No, I would have a tough time ranking that one against all the rest of the ships just because ships move and this is where ships dock. So that's kind of a weird comparison to make. Um, so then see. would it be the Cerritos and then the Bounty at the, as the bottom two? Or would you reverse those? I like the Klingon ship better than I like the Cerritos. I'm just going to have to... I mean, oh, that's not fair. That's but fair. Cerritos, You've only seen it for I've 20 minutes. I've only seen a Cerritos for like two seconds, although they put so much heart and design into it that I'm sure it's going to bump up in my rankings when I get to know it a little better. But I can't give it that credit before the credit is earned. So unfortunately for now, it's going to go... Ask me again in six months. Um, well, six months. I mean, the first season's only eight or ten episodes. So I can fine, ask you so ask me in, in ten months. episodes, two months. There you go. Um, but yeah, okay, so that's my ranking. There you go. So I think I w- it's tough between the Defiant and Voyager. I I agree with the the I like the Defiant Bridge and but that's really the only cuz it's it's a small ship right. and its purpose it's not meant to have meant like to a lot a of creature ship. comfort. So right. the crew quarters are very small. They're mm-hmm. just like plain bunks. The hallways just look like standard Starfleet hallways. See, I don't even remember the crew bunks. I don't. I do. I, I remember, remember the Chief bunks. O'Brien lying back in his bunk in that episode where they were all talking to the disembodied voice of the Starfleet captain that was dying on the planet. I remember Ooh. one where Dax and Bashir got trapped in crew quarters and because everybody had been locked off and they were running out of oxygen or something. I remember the, the quarters. Hmm. Um, They're just kind of unremarkable looking. Right. We saw engineering in the Defiant once or twice, like in uh, in the the one where the where the runabout got shrunk down, the one little ship. Oh. They're flying around there shooting oh, the Jemadar yeah, yeah. with the miniaturized one. Um, and the one where Odo kills the other changeling by like slamming him into the warp core, whatever it was. Um, so we saw engineering a couple of times, but it was kind of unremarkable. Right. Um, it's more the, the character of the Defiant is more like what it can do and what it looks like from the outside, like the fact that it's this tiny little tough ship that can out, out man- because it's so small uh-huh. but so powerful, like it practically, fl- you know, like Chief O'Brien had to. The problem was the reason why it had been hadn't been deployed after Cisco designed and built it was because it was overpowered, right? It was it would like fly oh, itself oh, apart. Oh, and I forgot so, it was also retrofitted with some illegal cloaking technology. Well, it wasn't I illegal, right? It wasn't illegal because they had they it had a one time they had illegal. a one no they had a they had a, an agreement with the Romulans, mm-hmm. they and that they had. Martha Hackett, who who played Seska on Voyager, played a one-off character um, that was supposed to be the Romulan attaché that was there on the bridge and was just there to supervise the proper use of the cloaking device. She appeared once, and then they never mentioned her again. But it was sanctioned by the Romulans, so long as it only operated in the Alpha Quadrant, that they couldn't use it for like military missions in the Gamma Quadrant through the wormhole. It was only allowed to operate in the Alpha Quadrant and only under certain circumstances. Right. But then they just stopped mentioning it and they used it whenever, you know, because it yeah. was too much too much trouble to, to deal with all that. Right. Um, but yeah, the fact that it can cloak, the fact that it's this, this tough little ship. Yeah. Um, that little. <laughs> can, that because it's so small but so fast and so powerful, it can outgun and outmaneuver far bigger ships yeah. that are getting blown apart by the Jem'Hadar and it's just like bobbing and weaving and doing a sort of crazy stuff. What's the Enterprise stuff, like. class called? I don't remember. Which What's what class called? The Enterprise. Which what, Enterprise? What the class. Just name one. It doesn't matter. All Enterprise ships are the same class. No, they're it's not. A class the, the, Kirk's class. Enterprise was a Constitution class. Okay. The Enterprise D was a Galaxy class and the Enterprise E was Sovereign class. Don't ask me about the the A, B. I think B might have also been Constitution. Don't ask me about the, the B or the C, though. I know they have names, but I don't remember them. Okay, so what's the class of the Defiant then? Because I was thinking it's like, tricky. I don't know if this is in like what's called the Beta Canon anywhere. I mean, the standard seems to be that it's the ships are generally seem like they're named after. Sometimes it seems like the first ship of a new class, like it sometimes becomes the name of the class. So I guess technically it would be like Defiant class. 
Oh. Because the defiant, the, the defiant we saw was a, was a prototype, right? It was an it's it was not NCC anything. It was NX like Archer's Enterprise. It was a prototype. The okay. NX designation is for is for like it's, test models. Basically. Whoa! I'm so glad you know all this. Like, <laughs> just so we, let me bust out so, the popcorn and listen. But then later, when that defiant got blown up and they gave them another defiant, mm-hmm. they they didn't bother to like remodel the CG. So they just it was still had the same NX designation. Whereas I think the producers have gone on record saying, yeah, technically, when Cisco got the second defiant, that one should have been like NCC whatever because it's right. no longer the prototype right? right and at that point you would say well what class is it it was it's probably have to be defined class, class. Wow. so i guess technically there was the uss galaxy that was the first galaxy class ship i don't know sometimes it seems like because excelsior is a class but and then, there was a USS Excelsior. So I think that that's kind of the way it goes. I could be wrong about that. But this then I'm very confused because why would an Enterprise, its sequel, be a designation for a different class? Do you know what I mean? Like, why would you make, you know, the, because the you Enterprise part do, do Because do. you wouldn't make the Enterprise-E a prototype. That's far too important for that. It's the flagship. So you would make a prototype, the USS Sovereign or, or no, I'm sorry, the, the NX whatever USS Sovereign. Yeah. And that would be the prototype. And you would, you know, do whatever. You'd fly it around. Maybe it would be, you know, permanently added to the fleet and, and given a new designation. But that would be the prototype. And then you start mass producing it, starting with if Troy has crashed the last one, mm-hmm. a new Enterprise. And it becomes like the first official Sovereign class ship. Okay. But I doubt that they would try all this crazy new technology so that, that be, the Enterprise oh, okay. E had on a. There wouldn't have been the prototype. They would hammer out the bugs with. In the way that the with an NX class ship, and then they would roll out. I guess that makes sense. Something that yeah, I guess that makes sense because you want the new hotness to. I think be even the Excelsior. The I think even the Excelsior was was NX class because it had all this fancy new warp technology, and it was supposed to be so much faster than the Enterprise, which is why Scotty was always bagging on it, right? Because it's like all these <laughs> no fancy new Excelsior a, ships with its trans warp drive and all this other stuff. Hordy. Um, <laughs> That's great. So I like all that stuff about the Defiant, Can getting I, all the way, coming all the way back around. Did you have one more I thing to say? I have one more question. What's that? My question is, let's <laughs> see now. <laughs> are there instances where multiple enterprises are flying around at the same time, given that they are in different classes? I don't. Is there overlap no, between I, one enterprise? I don't think there the would next? be overlap. I don't think there would be because you wouldn't you wouldn't designate a new enterprise as the new flagship unless something had happened to the old one i mean so as far as so far as we know i mean kirk blew up his original enterprise the enterprise a so far as we know was just mothballed when they flew it off into the sunset at the end of undiscovered country so far as we know that was the i mean maybe they repurposed it for like a training vessel or something or they put it in a museum we don't know and then it was years later like five six years later when uh harriman's enterprise b went off on its maiden voyage and there was no mention of the Enterprise A still being out there anywhere. We don't know what happened to the Enterprise B. We know what happened to the Enterprise C. The Enterprise C was destroyed defending that Klingon colony from the Romulans, thus averting the dark timeline of yesterday's Enterprise, right? right? right, right, right. But it was years and years after that before the Enterprise D with Picard in command was, because that was like, what was that supposed to be like 15 years ago, 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. 10 years ago? 20 years ago. It was, was the, but did the Enterprise C come 20 years into the future? I don't think it was quite that many, was it? No, it can't have been that many because Sela, and this is how I can back solve yeah. for this, Sela, Tasha Yar's Romulan yes, daughter, yes. would be the age minus a year or two of yes. the difference between when they went back. Do you see what I'm, what I'm getting no. at? Because Tasha Yar went, this is so nerdy, Tasha Yar went back on the Enterprise C because she'd fallen yes. in love with Christopher McDonald, yes. right? Yes, yes. 
Then we and so far as we thought, she died a heroic death. Right. Then we found out later that yeah. she'd been captured by the Romulans yep. and forced to give birth to a daughter, who then later grew up to be Sela, also played by Denise Crosby. Right. Yes. So I her remember. age would be basically the age of how far back in time the Enterprise C went back to in their original time. Right. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, it's 25 years. So she's not, yeah, something like that, right? At least. Yeah. So so there were about 25 years between when the Enterprise-C was destroyed and when the Enterprise-D was launched. So sometimes it can be a very large gap. But then the Enterprise-D crashed on whatever planet, Viridian 3, was that the planet from Generations? And then it was only the very next movie, so two, three years later, that the Enterprise-E was launched. Mm-hmm. So there's been no overlapping Enterprises so far as we know. And I don't see why you wouldn't give a ship. I, I think, I mean, it's it's a... And it's a tradition. It's a naval tradition, right? To to give, to reuse names. And I don't mm-hmm. think ever, they ever do it when the previous ship is still in service. I don't see why you would do that. Right. It kind of defeats the purpose of sort of carrying on the name. Well, that's why I was wondering because if it's different class ships, then I wanted to know if there was any. I mean, it would just be confusing if nothing else, because right. in practice, nobody calls it the Enterprise E. They just say, "Oh, there's the Enterprise," right? So it would be getting to wait, which one, right? Like it would have to get, it would get pretty confusing. <laughs> which is why my question. Yeah, I don't yeah. think you would do that. Okay. So I think so. Having said all that about uh, how much character the Defiant has, I think that still I would have to put Voyager for number one, because I think the 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 features and the exterior yeah. and the interior yeah. are all um, are all pretty cool. So yeah. Voyager Defiant, I think I'd have to put Discovery third. Um, it's got a cool design on the outside. It's got cool stuff that it can do. And I think that the interior design is really cool looking too, sort of modern. What? Now I'm into this discussion. Um, what class is the Voyager ship? Is Voyager? Yeah. Voyager is a, oh, geez. You have to revoke my credentials. <laughs> I do know this. It's going to come to me later. Huh. No, it's not coming to me right now. I do know this information, but it's just completely escaping me. It'll come Sorry. to me later. My, I'll, my, my background process will continue to churn away at it for the next few minutes, and it will come to me. Okay. Um, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's, it's, I want to say Constitution, but that's not it. That's the original Enterprise. Was con- well, not the original original. The, the Kirk's Enterprise was Constitution class. It was, it was something like Intrepid class. That's it. Oh, good job. I knew it was something like three, three right, or four three syllables. syllables. Like, and it's something like that doesn't Constitution. Narrow, doesn't or, it's like, right, it's it's like some, some like word that means like bold gumption. and forthright. Like, yeah. in, in constitu- you got Constitution? No, the gumption got class. Intrepid, that's it. <laughs> the um, moxie class. <laughs> so, so void your defiant discovery. Um, I think I'd have to... Mm, it's, it's hard between the bounty and La Serena. I do like that, that Klingon rust bucket that they were flying around in. And it's got the whale tanks Me in there, too. so that's pretty that's cool. That's why I ranked it above um, the Yeah, I'd have to say Doritos. Bounty La Serena Cerritos, just because I can tell you what the Bounty looked like. It looked like a Klingon bird of prey. Sure. Right? Like we've seen yeah, a million of them. Great. But I still, you know. And like, like there's cool there's cool shots. Like there's there's really classic memorable shots that I can think of. Yeah, me too. Like it's slingshotting around the sun or it decloaking to scare the crap out of those whalers, right? Yes, those, <laughs> those whale yes. poachers. Um, and then the Cerritos at the Cerritos at the bottom. I think I come, could come to really like the Cerritos, mm-hmm. but but I think that by design, it's supposed like it's got an it's got a unique looking ex- external design. Mm-hmm. Like the idea that the the saucer section and the and the is the drive section is like connected via the pylons. It's like mm-hmm. it's it's a weird thing. Like you've got to kind of go down the nacelles to get to the drive section, which I think was done intentionally. As a way of saying, like the people on the lower decks are in a compl- really? are almost in a completely different ship. Right. It's like the Enterprise D; they could split apart, and there was a saucer section and the drive section. But there's always been a saucer and a and a drive section drive, yeah. and Starfleet ship. Not all of them. The Defiant is just like one little pod, basically. 
Um, but the idea that you've got to like go through, <laughs> you've got to take a turbo lift all the way down mm-hmm. these long things just to get to the lower decks, I think was intentionally done. So it's, it's cool stuff about it. But I think the interior is just supposed to look clean and Starfleet-ish. Sure. It's not supposed to be terribly distinctive for the inside. It's right. supposed to look like an animated updating of like Enterprise E era Starfleet design, you know? Right. <laughs> so I'd have to put that last for now, but it could easily change. So should we move on to our shows? Yes, I'm ready. So we've got Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., then we've got the season finales of Stargirl and Doom Patrol, and the first episode of Star Trek Lower Decks. Yes, we've got a lot of TV to cover, because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was also including the finale. No, the finale's this week. We haven't watched the finale yet. I'm living in the future. (laughs) This felt really... Okay, yeah, this was a good episode. I really, really enjoyed this episode. This was um, a lot of fun. I... So much fallout from last time, obviously. Um, and Simmons and... Oh, and Fitz. Fitz makes an appearance um, mm-hmm. in her mind. A little anticlimactic because at first you're seeing like flashbacks of yes, him. Yes, yes. But actually like scenes that we've seen before, right? At yeah. first. And you're like, oh, there he is. Like wait, once I'm, or twice, yeah, but, but not I'm, really. But at first you're like, wait, is this new footage? No, I think this is old footage. And then you start realizing now there's new footage. Now there's new footage. But it's, do you see what I mean? You're yeah. kind of like, well, oh, I guess now there's new stuff. Oh, there he is. I guess he's back. I yeah. guess they got him back. Like, yeah. It's not like he doesn't get some cool entrance. You're like, wow, there he is. It's like, oh, here's some old stuff. And then here, now we're segueing into some new stuff. You know what right. I mean? It's a little. But I imagine he's going to have a much bigger role in the finale because I You've you've got I, this is not the last we're going to see of him. You've got I to you've got to have the, that's no, true. The actor is going to be in the final yeah. episode. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Even if he's dead or something, you've got to have the actor in the final episode. You don't you don't six seasons on the show and then just show him once in the penultimate episode. No, he's he's going the actor is going to be in the finale. Okay, good. <laughs> I would be surprised if we didn't also see Brett Dalton in the finale, who plays Grant Ward. I just feel like huh? The, yeah, the, he did play a main thing, but only for like three seasons. And the show is like, what is this season? Is he only on three? Five? Yeah, because he four? died in the third season. Well, no, he died, three. but then he came back as the Hydra Squid guy. Right, remember? but that, and then he was killed in that one too. Did so he die in the mm-hmm. was it the season three finale that he three, died? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So was season four the one with Ghost Rider and the and the framework? Yes. I thought that was season five. Um, five was what happened after Ghost Rider. Um. You could be right, but I think was... I think it might be off by a season. But yeah, even so, like three years, he's, he was a big part, but he was a foundational part of the show, right? No, because five was, was the season where Colson died. Again. Uh, that, the lead Coulson up to that. End, and that yeah, was not, the the f- that was not the framework Ghost that, Rider season. That was the season before he, that. No, that was after. Colson died after. That's Remember? that's what that's what I'm saying. I'm yeah. saying I'm saying the season before the one where Coulson died was the one with Ghost Rider. So you're right. Yes. Uh, Ward died in season three, and then his body was permanently destroyed with Lincoln. Remember Lincoln? Yes, I do. <laughs> that yeah. was, he was a, he was a guy that was on the show. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. less convinced we're going to see him again. He was good, but I'm, he was great. It's kind of ultimately not as memorable as as someone like Ward. Um, I got to think we're going to see him again. We're going to see Ward again in the finale. I think we have to. Interesting. I wouldn't be surprised. Because they've got, I mean, there's a time. They mentioned they're him. They're traveling through time, for goodness sake. Yeah, they mentioned him. They mentioned uh, him being one of yeah, the people set, that they wanted to Yeah, that's set up. Like, they're going to yeah, do a thing yeah, where they, because now we're in completely alternate timeline, because the shield's been blown up, that's right? So true. now we're, they're not going, it, unless they can find some way of, like, moving laterally back to their original timeline, this new timeline is borked now, right? Like, they've oh, got to yeah. make the completely best of it. Completely screwed, yeah. So I think we're going to see, like, a, a thing where, oh, it turns out that Ward actually did have a happy life in this timeline mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. they said he was capable of doing because mm-hmm. of what they saw in the framework because they're able to stop nathaniel and the chronicoms in the finale and then this timeline proceeds 
And this is our way of, well, this is why we're not going to see these characters anymore in Marvel Studios stuff because they're off on their own little branch timeline, right? Yep. Not to say we couldn't possibly. Next Doctor Strange movie is about the multiverse. So you could put in like a little cameo in there if you really wanted to. That's you know? right. Practically writes itself. But I, I just doubt they're going to do that because I don't think Kevin Feige even knows that these characters exist. Um, but yeah, it was a really good episode. There was some more great stuff with Sousa, right? Sousa and Daisy yeah. and Sousa and uh, Mac. Yeah. Having, gives, him, gives him the talk, basically, right? The talk. Oh, the threat. It was such a good scene. That was so great. And then and then he calls her Quake. And and just as as a teasing thing, that whole yeah. setup and the follow-through was so, so great. I didn't just find that, that as thing. funny as you did just because <laughs> I don't think there's anything funny about Because I'm just so used to all these characters having... I'm just used Weird, to people names, having superhero yeah. names. It's like, But he stepped out of the 50s uh, and it's been a kind of refreshing to see it through his eyes. And just yeah, but he head. would know about he Captain America, it, right? Still. Like Captain America is a way goofier name than Quake, right? But not to him. That's the beauty uh, is that he comes from know. a sensibility that's way different than ours. And so having a name that's more of a like a verb is much like more it can also be a weird noun, I but anyway yeah i, I kind of i kind of yeah i see what you mean i just I, I to me they that was they hit that one too many times like okay i, I get it he thinks i like funny. it i liked it very much I, I like her reaction she's like what are you even talking about would you just stop it <laughs> and uh, and uh, while i continue to not be like a super fan of the nathaniel character i did think that the cora character yeah. got some good development in this one she's Agreed. still she's still a little bit of like oh i get it like she boohoo she felt like she got a bad Rod rap and now she's gonna blow everything up like that's you know when a character makes that leap to oh i had it's just kind of the same with nathaniel right yeah. like they come off as like i got I, nathaniel had had it was spoiled and cora like had it rougher right yep. mm-hmm. but still they like they had people that cared about them and they had a safe happy home and instead of adapting instead of you know life handed them a bum bum rap, rap and you know Yep. Nathaniel's father was killed, but he was also super evil, right? Yeah. And Cora got some powers that she couldn't control, but neither of those things are really an excuse to destroy the world. So I don't, right. you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. when you when a character makes that jump, it's hard for me to really have much sympathy for them anymore. Agreed, yeah. So unless they're being played by like someone who is just like so charismatic, you know, like a Tom, like Tom Hiddleston gets aggrieved and decides to destroy everything. It's like, okay, he's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're always on board with Loki, even when he's doing <laughs> terrible stuff because he's just so damn charming. Right? Yes, that's and very these, true. You know, neither of these guys are Tom Hiddleston. So it's, it's not quite, you know, I don't that's, quite have that same buy-in. That's the, that's the pull quote right there. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I am really looking forward to the finale. I think yeah. it's going to be exciting. It's a two-hour finale, too. I'm not sure it was made to be aired together, but they are airing it together. So it's going to effectively be a two-hour finale. Ooh, it's going to be very, very night. exciting. Oh, man, these guys, they put out some serious, serious work. Um, I, I'm very excited to see what happens, too. And I'm wondering, like, I'm wondering how deep the rabbit hole goes, because obviously you can see the strings that Sybil is pulling um, to set people up into. And to predict exactly who is going to be where, like she just she made sure that Cora was captured in the exact spot and used her, and she knew that her, she would use her powers to um, to trigger the electrical, you know, shortage. Yeah, I'm also not sure how a heat blast can infect computers. Walls. Computers with a because it brought the computer po- program. It, I know it's kind of weird. No, the heat blast. It, they explained it like this. They said did it that just cause the power to fritz the out? The power so she fritzed could, out, so she was able to break through the that firewalls. Doesn't make any sense because if the power goes down, the computers go. Pa- power power going out doesn't lower the firewalls, but keep everything else up. The computers would go down too. Exactly. It would make it harder to get something into the computers. The computers are literally off. I don't know. It, they they explained sense. it with comic book science. Whatever. Yeah, there was enough backup power the the to run them, but TV not shows. enough for the running of the firewalls, which is whatever. But yeah, exactly. And so. 
Um, yeah, it was definitely comic book science, but I still like the fact that you kind of see it. And I like the conversation between Daisy and Cora because they are sisters, technically. They're... I like how, how how Daisy, I mean, she cares somewhat, but right. not a lot. You know what I mean? Right. She, she's like, I've already got my family. Right. You're out there. You're, you're, you're killing people. So I don't have time for you right now. Right. You're, maybe exactly. not ever. Right. Like right. that's, I like that you didn't seem super conflicted about it. Yeah. And she's um, like, I already have a sister. Her name is Gemma Simmons. And she goes up to space on a on a whim, like on a lark. And I love that. <laughs> I love that everybody was doing things against their unpredictably. Like the name of the game became Be Unpredictable because Sybil is planning on your That being said, it does really seem like the kind of thing that Daisy would do. And the sister right. would go with her also seems like the kind of thing he would do. So yeah, and, not letting and them that go, Mac, maybe not. Maybe a but, little less, but still, like he supports the team. Yeah, so it's I mean, within his character too. And so I'm wondering exactly. They this make is, stuff this up as they go along so often. That... Sure. This brings me back to my question. Like, does Sybil know? Like, did Sybil plan for this eventually? I'm not sure it matters like, at this point because they've got the whole alien fleet there. So I understand. Yeah. It's and they've maybe already a blown late. up all of their targets. So <laughs> Yeah. So maybe not so great. Yeah. But we should move on to... Uh, we I should wonder move what on to... Fitz has to do with all of this. Anyway, yeah, so we're going to be finding out. And, and Gemma lost all memories of Fitz seemingly after the last dose with um, Nathaniel Hawthorne there. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah. Okay, next show. Next show. So Stargirl, mm-hmm. season finale. <gasps> so good. So yeah, this good. Was a, this, ah. was a, this was a really great finale. Like it landed, you know, emotionally. There were some great fight scenes. The whole, you know, group versus group fight scenes. There was a lot more comedy, funny moments than I thought there would be. Yeah, but that's always, yeah. And this show has always had that sort of light touch. I, and I think to- tonally it worked really well. Yeah. I mean, and, and the, all the characters got interesting stuff. You know, C- Courtney got, you know, Courtney and Pat got a bunch of great moments. You know, his father, daughter. Yep. Um, Rick got the thing where he got to fight Solomon Grundy, but then kind of not forgave him, but realized that he just... He's the mindless he sort animal. sort of moved beyond he, his rage a right. little bit. And he even seemed... The actor did a good job because in the scenes later, you see him after that. Yeah. Where he's all and cut he's up. a little he, more at peace. Yeah he, seemed, yeah, he seemed like lighter, like a load had been lifted off his shoulders, right? Yeah. Beth gets the thing where Chuck is seemingly destroyed by Icicle. Yeah. Um, and they're like, oh, don't worry, we'll rebuild it, right? But I kind of like... What I would like to see, and we talked about this, but my, my misgivings about just having... A pair of Dr. Midnight her, yeah. be just essentially like a hacker or, a, or just a mouthpiece for this AI. Sure. I think it would be cooler if they discover they can't repair it and she's got to learn how to be Dr. Midnight on her own. I think that would be way more empowering than, oh, we fixed I your mean, goggles for you. I 100% agree. I think they're going to do something in the middle where they're able to pull some of the programming from him, but he doesn't have his personality. So she can't depend on him being an, a sentient AI Maybe. anymore. If I, if but I she's know, the one that's running the program. If in I know words, Jeff Johns and his and the way he sort of writes character arcs, I think that the goggles were a season one like training wheels thing for her. Yeah. Because I think my qualms about how she wasn't really doing anything or contributing anything on her own were in retrospect intentional yes yes like she was relying on chuck too much and now that he's gone she's going to have to learn how to be a superhero on her own this was never intended to be the permanent status quo for her character right so i think that in retrospect that was intentional so she so now she's left an interesting place yolanda's left an interesting place where after giving her whole like we can't kill yes you know it's against god or whatever yeah she she just instantly slashes brainwave's throat yeah so and and she seemed kind of like haunted by that and the other in the later scenes, like right, just sitting there in the bleachers, she was like sort of disaffected yeah. and kind of half uh-huh. listening to what the others were saying. Exactly. Um, yeah, and and uh, 
even even like Mike even gets a thing where he gets the, <laughs> the run know. over icicle. The, That's fantastic. The villains Am get, I in the JSA now? <laughs> the villains get kind of their cool moments. They get to go out in various cool ways. I guess Sportsmaster and Tigress were just arrested, I guess. I guess. Or they got away somehow sure. in the confusion because nobody was watching them, right? No. Everybody unclear. else went off and fought other people. Yep. Um, if anybody was arrested here, then it would be a story, right? Because the whole thing right. was like, oh, people are going to come up with some zany conspiracy theory. Yeah, there's to always a story. In the this the satellite yeah. dishes and everything, right? Yeah. There was if two was costume supervillains were captured in Blue Valley, then you think it would be a bit more of a story. So right. we have no idea where idea where, where they went off to. Um, and we're left with some interesting stuff at the end. So you know, they got their butts kicked, but I don't know where they crawled to after. Well, that. yeah, we didn't. We just that's, didn't see that's them weird. again. Exactly. Um, so Beth is lifting. Beth, Rick, Yolanda, they're they're left in interesting places. Mm-hmm. Courtney and Pat seemingly have resolved their arc, but now you know you got to throw the wrench in at the end. Sylvester looks like he's alive or somebody yeah. pretending to be him. So that's going to be the wrench that you throw into their relationship. We've got um, Cindy going into, I guess, like the old the ISA storage um, closet yeah, and finding much. the the heart of darkness the but black diamond there not even finding it she was looking for it. Well, she was looking for she was something looking. was she looking for that or was she just it looking for some like, something that no. looked like a super powered weapon because no, as use soon as she Courtney. saw the box she knew what was in it it's like she was yeah, like maybe ah, her yes father this. like told her about it one time i think she was looking yeah. for it deliberately that's like, cool yeah yeah and jeff johns wrote a really cool thing with um yeah, man. Because I don't want to spoil too much. I can't believe she's the one that took it out. She took out her own father. That doesn't mean she. Oh yeah, yeah. That was great. I'm not Poor sure. She, I'm not sure she's going to be the one to be possessed by it, though. Like we'll have no. to see where they go go with that. Jeff Johns did a great thing in the comics for because Yolanda was, you know, we talked about how Eclipso. Well, in comics, Eclipso, man, I just I just connected the dots because Eclipso was the one that killed Beth and Yolanda in the comics. No. Can't imagine they're going to do that here, but I think that was in his mind when he wrote it. When he wrote that, because otherwise, like Eclipso is not really a JSA villain. I mean, he has fought them before, and then some fairly iconic stories that he wrote. But he's not was not originally a JSA villain. Right, so, right. I, so, but his connection is with those characters specifically. And mm-hmm. the, when he showed up in later Jeff Johns JSA stories, it was because mm-hmm. it was like a grudge match because they were, you know, because he had killed two JSA members, and that's why it was like now it's personal kind of thing, you know. Right. It all stemmed from that. Yeah. Um, can I ask a silly question? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a refrigerator moment, but Yolanda was able to get the jump on Brainwave because he was trying to pretend to be his son, Brainwave Jr., um, and extract the plan from her. But can't he read minds? Wouldn't it make more sense for Brainwave, a telepath, to just kind of stand there, maybe even for window dressing, pretend to be invisible and sort of pull the information out of her mind? I mean, when he said, where are your friends? I'm mm-hmm. not sure he was like actively trying to fish for information because first of all, as you say, he is a telepath. Second of all, it wouldn't be hard to find them. You walk down the hall into the big meeting room mm-hmm. and there's a massive fight going on. Yeah. I think he was just trying to like, trying to be ing- all villainy ingrati- about it? Well, he's trying to ingratiate himself and, and get her to lower her guard. And as soon as she like turns and starts walking down the halls, like, oh, they're this way. Come on. He was going to like stab her in the back or something. Right. So I don't think he was legitimately trying to pumper for information i think it was just a thing that he said and he happened to slip up as far as his phrasing was right concerned. right um well it's just and she was pretty damn sure that that was absolutely. not henry because it's like oh you you use this word that he wouldn't have used it's like well yeah, maybe he's a little off too. his game because he's been pretending to be a zombified henchman for yeah, yeah, weeks yeah but no um the only so uh, the only qualm i had with this episode and it's more of like an overarching thing with with the season of the last few episodes is that I feel like they dropped the ball in one particular subplot, which is Cameron. Yes. Because it felt really weird. Like, he was only in, like, two episodes. Yeah. He and Courtney hit it off, and they were, like, going to go on a date or whatever. 
Then and they never did. Then then that just never we didn't see him again after no, that. No, I know. And 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 I think except that for the it, dinner, the family dinner, but well, yeah. But I think that it would have been, it would have been smart to like have him here like have it have a scene like we talked about last week where he learns about his father's evil right. plans or have a scene where his father like says goodbye to him on the night before he's going to go do this thing yeah and you know something that reminds us that he has a family so he doesn't just come off as a mustache twirling villain remind him of like what he's fighting for more yeah. than just mentioning his dead wife over and over yeah and then even here at the end like he's dead his father's dead yeah what what story like what are people going to think happened to him yeah Right? Are, are they are they gonna like find out that he was? Are they gonna like put the pieces together literally and discover <laughs> that he was a supervillain, yeah. or they just go, oh he mysteriously disappeared? How does Cameron affect? How is Cameron affected by that? How is he handling that? Is he is Courtney gonna try to comfort him? Is she gonna be tempted to tell him the truth about his father? Right? Is he gonna swear revenge against the Justice Society? Like, I feel like of all the things they set up for next season, I would have liked to touch base with him because yeah. it really felt like his character was wasted. Like it would have been such an interesting added dimension to the conflict between Courtney an icicle yeah to have this guy that they both care about yeah like in between them but it just didn't happen he was only in a couple of episodes yeah, and, and it, it felt like they were setting him up for a big role yeah and, then just, and i'm sure we'll see more of him next season but i feel like even especially here like a little teaser uh, some sort they of had payoff like three to his people, character they had mr shadow or midnight or whatever his, the shadow stick man whatever he, oh he yeah the shade that's the yeah, other thing the yes. shade showed up but that that spot easily could have been foregone and instead of that teaser we could have gotten a little tiny well something i'll take the with... shade over just about anything the shade is <laughs> super awesome but okay but fair. But just something like even have a scene where Cameron like comes home after his dad's funeral or something, and we see that he's starting to develop the powers, or just like right. some, something. Or, or well, like he already has the powers. Remember, he blew out the candle. Yeah, you keep saying that, and I literally have no memory of that. But I it take was just a small it. little thing. But um, Ted or um, <laughs> sorry, um, I I wanted to ask. I can't remember the shade. Is that the same character that was helping Hawkman? And he he's good guy or is this the bad guy that <laughs> is he is he I good guy or is, is he bad guy is he bad guy which, which kind which kind of guy ISA. is he no but I um, mean both of them started both the shadow manipulators in in he the was comics. originally created as a flash villain a Jay Garrick flash villain that was later became part of the injustice society of the world you know you had villains from a bunch of different characters all banded together so you had Vandal Savage per Degaton the Shade the Thinker the Gambler the Fiddler all these characters right okay. Um, and so he was like a big villain. And then he showed up, you know, once or twice after that, you know, continuing to fight Jay Garrick on Earth 2. Um, but then when James Robinson did his Starman series, he had him, you know, you discover that he was immortal and he had, you know, he was actually kind of not a bad guy. He said he was like kind of an anti-hero, mm-hmm. sort of like a wild okay, card so character. This is the and then you okay. discovered then you discovered that it's because, you know, he's got this this darkness that he can control and he was like being controlled sometimes by this other character. And he ultimately ended up being a heroic character. But but the one of I mean if you talk to anybody who read James Robinson's Starman comic, which is one of the best modern DC comics, um You'll, a lot of people will tell you that that the best thing about that series was the Shades arc. How they how James Robinson took him from being a a, a forgettable you know, one-off Golden Age Flash villain and turned him into like one of the coolest anti-heroes in DC Comics. Ooh. And he showed up once or twice since then. And James Robinson is one of the guys that mentored Jeff Johns when Jeff Johns started writing DC Comics. And in fact, when Jeff Johns 
was putting together the writer's room for Stargirl, he mm-hmm. made sure to include James Robinson. So James Robinson works on Stargirl oh. and is actually like a consulting producer and so on. Oh, so okay. he's got James Robinson right there. And James Robinson is, for all intents and purposes, the creator of the shade in terms of like the modern sure. shade, right? Yeah. Um, Oh, so this is going to be very so, interesting because right now he's in the bad guy corner. Oh, I thought so. Because I, I remember. Well, no, maybe no, no, not, cause, right? Because he, he betrayed them and left. That's all we know. And then he shows up and he's like, oh, I told, I would have, I could have told you, Icicle. I was telling yeah. you that this wouldn't work. I right? told you not so, to. Yeah, so you could read that as like, oh, he's, he's decided not to be bad anymore. And he's like, you know what I mean? So I think that'll be it. I think he'll show up and, and Pat and everybody will be like, oh, he's a villain. You know, he was there when they killed the J- the JSA or something. I'm trying to remember if he was there or if he would have left the ISA so. before that. And he's going to be like, no, I've changed. I'm actually here to help you because this... And, and you could tie him into Eclipso, right? Which I don't think has been done in the comics, but they've got that darkness thing in common, Ooh. right? So maybe he's come back to warn the JSA about Eclipso because he senses the power rising in Blue Valley, but none of but Pat won't let them trust him because he used to be a villain and, you know, you go from That's there. That's true. But James Robinson is right there. So yeah. you might as well use you it. Like nobody know. writes yeah. the shade like James Robbins. So let him let him write the big shade origin Ooh, episode. Or it's something. gonna be interesting. So hey, Call wait, it so times do they past. cast the shade? They must have cast somebody wow. to do the voice. But it might be like a Michonne thing where you cast oh, somebody sure. to just appear Stand at the end of the season yeah, and yeah. you cast somebody bigger for the actual episode. Ooh. Nice reference, by the way, Michonne. Yeah. Nice. So so Doom Patrol. Can I ask one more question? Sure. <laughs> DC question. Um, I'm asking all the questions today. So who am I thinking of that also manipulates Shadow but is exclusively always always been a bad guy? Shadow Thief? Shadow Thief. Because that's, that's who he was helping yeah, Hawkman Hawk fight in that. Exactly. That yeah. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Who could also show up here because he is, by dint of being a Hawkman villain, kind of a golden age True. Just society. And also a shadow manipulator. So, you know. Wouldn't surprise me if they threw in a reference to him. It's like, oh, yeah, there was this thief named Carl Sands who was also tapping into the same power, yada, yada, yada. Like, they could tie stuff together. Well, they could could also have Nightshade show up. Um, No, I was, yeah. But anyway, the season finale was really, really wonderful. And I can't wait for the next one. And it made me tear up so many times at the end. I just hope, like we talked about, that there won't be a massive, noticeable drop in production quality location shooting budget etc etc because it's solely a cw show now yeah. i would have much rather it had been picked up by hbo max not the cw because i feel like it's, i don't want it to become like just another cw show with the same feel and look and everything yeah but you know at least even if that kind of does happen yeah. it gets a bit watered down at least we sort of got like one perfect season out of it yeah um so doom so doom patrol season. okay mm-hmm. so this was i think i haven't read interviews and stuff but i think it's pretty clear that this it was not intended as, to be the. I mean, it works right. as a cliffhanger finale. Yeah. But I think that they were probably planning on ending the season similarly episode, to the way the yeah. first season did, which is, you know, it ends on a first season, like the threat was resolved, mm-hmm. but then, oh, we're shrunk, right? Like, I think yeah. this would have been like they defeat the candle maker, but something, <laughs> something, something yeah. kind of funny happens or whatever. And that's the, the tease mm-hmm. for next season. This really feels like it was going to be the penultimate episode because otherwise the whole Miranda thing. Like yeah. that's a that's a reveal, but that really feels like that's a setup for something bigger in the very and next very episode important. that we didn't yeah, get. They, they hinted something, but you kind of feel like if they knew this was going to be the finale, they yeah. would have probably left been a bit more on the you know they would have been more explicit about that because it would have made for a bigger cliffhanger. Like, oh, I am actually her father or whatever, right? Right. Instead of just kind of teasing it and like, eh, that's it's kind of makes for a weak cliffhanger. Um, but the whole candlemaker thing comes to a head. Yeah. Right, and Dorothy goes off to fight it, and it looks like she dies. But I'm sure they instead just like got transported to like inside her head or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know how much, 
And they all meet up with their invisible and invisible. Yeah. Imaginary. Imaginary is the word I was looking for. Imaginary friends. Yeah. So you've got uh, Vic's friend, Dr. Cowboy. And uh, Rita's friend, like this sort of like paper cutout person with her mother's eyes that she used to talk to, right? Yeah. And Vic, uh, not Vic, um, Cliff gets to fight Jesus, which was fun, (laughs) right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it was a fun episode. I mean, the stuff with with, uh, Jane and Miranda, like sort of Miranda's origin story was really interesting. Yeah. That was, to me, like that was uh, was the more compelling part of the episode. Agreed. That's Um, the one I can't stop thinking about. Um, Jane's, right, Jane, Miranda, the, the, (sighs) yeah. Jane's origin story. You're absolutely right. Oh, it was it was very very good, and the way that Jane is still experiencing Miranda's own memories in the well, and she's not out. She's da- she's not down. She's not starting to rot like you know you see Baby Doll or um, the what was her name the Harlot um, Scarlet Scarlet Harlot, Harlot yeah or um, and the other one. What was it? The sun, the sun eater protector girl. Yeah, I can't remember her name either. But anyway, yeah. So they're swimming around. Their corpses are like welling around in the well, and and you see that she's seeing this tiny little blot of light, and you think it's a light source, but it's not. It's actually something she sees in the ground, and she pulls out Miranda's corpse right at the end. Oh my gosh, crazy, crazy! Wow. So that's interesting. We'll see how she gets out of that predicament. Oh my gosh! In I like can't. two years. I know. I know. Oh man. Anyway. So Star Trek Lower Decks. Yes. The first episode. So this was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. I didn't really know fun. what to, I mean, I kind of knew what to expect because you've seen trailers. Little and trailers, and yeah. Um, but it was a lot well, of fun. just one I, trailer. That was another thing is yeah, about this show. Yeah, and there's been like preview that... clips on YouTube and, and, and Twitter and stuff that I've seen go by. But oh, I've been trying okay. to sort of avoid watching most of them, but you kind of get a bit of a sense for what the tone is going to be from that. Right. Yeah. But yeah, it was very a lot of quick. It was a lot of fun. It really, takes, it really takes like... Someone, there's really only just been, I mean, I guess you could kind of argue there's been sort of like two kinds of Star Trek, which is like the sort of older plotting mm-hmm. stuff and then like the modern, mm-hmm. you know, hyperkinetic stuff. Mm-hmm. But even that is still like of a piece, like it's still all kind of drama, yeah. you know, um, whereas this is out and out comedy, you know, right. so, and there's never been a Star Trek comedy before. Mm-hmm. So it, it does take a bit of adjustment, but I feel, I think that they... I think that they strike a good balance and the people working on the show clearly love Star Trek and they don't, they go out of their way, they, they go out of their way to like not make, not make jokes of the characters, you know what I mean? Like the ways yes. in which they poke fun at the command crew, at the bridge crew, yeah. is the ways in which you could just as easily poke fun at characters like Riker or Worf or any of our other beloved characters. Like, because when you think about it, they really, like... And it's and it's not supposed to be a knock on their characters. Like I would never say that Picard didn't care about his crew or something right. like that. But when you when you examine episodes of Star Trek, you know people, ensigns and crewmen or whatever die or Kirk, right? Like the red shirts on Kirk's crew are the canonical example, right? Like yeah. people die a lot, and the main characters never really seem that broken up about it. Yeah. Like, like I don't mean to say that they don't care. It's just purely a function of like. The, the way the sh- you know like the, yeah. the purpose of the show the purpose of the scene you know yeah. like if these characters were to get character you know minor one-off crew members need to die for there to be stakes but if every time that happened yeah the main characters were thrown into a bout of depression for weeks then the show couldn't be Just a show right? right exactly so i'm not so it's it's kind of like unrealistic that they would react that way but it is kind of part of the star trek model right yeah. that the people yeah. on on the lower decks the people whose names we don't know are basically expendable mm-hmm. and any grieving process that might happen happens purely off screen, right? Yeah. So here what we're getting is basically that writ large, which is that the people 
that are actually out there risking their lives and solving the problems are basically overlooked by the bridge crew. Yeah. And the bridge crew are doing their own heroic stuff. And I'm sure that they, you know, have all these admirable qualities. But, but the people working on the lower decks wouldn't necessarily get to see those admirable right, qualities. Exactly, right, exactly, yeah. This is, of course, all built off of the, the one classic Next Gen episode, which was called Lower Decks. Yeah. Where you focus on some minor crew members on the Enterprise and the way that they, the way that they see the, you know, when, when that Bajoran, and I'm trying to think the Bajoran who dies at the end, the one from the, for the first duty episode, um, when she goes in and Picard dresses her down and says, basically, I don't think you belong on my ship. Like Picard is, is really intimidating and scary in that scene. Right. When, when the, 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 um, helmsman who kind of wants to become a Lieutenant is talking to Riker, tries to talk to Riker. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, you know, I, I always really like Canada. And Riker's like, I'm from Alaska. And he's like, oh, remember that? <laughs> like yeah. someone had told him he's from Canada. Um, like Riker's really imposing. Because Jonathan Frakes, like if you don't he's... if you don't know Riker, yeah. like if you just see the way he carries himself in a professional setting, Riker would be very, because he, he's a big guy. He's yeah. intimidating, yeah. right? Yeah. Like these characters would be scary to the people that work, right? <laughs> yeah. And they, yeah. they, they deal with crazy sci-fi crap all the time. Like yeah. they're traveling back in time. They're doing all this stuff. They would be incredibly intimidating to the people on the, lo- on the lower mm-hmm. decks, right? Mm-hmm. And, and if, you, if you happen to be the kind of person that gets into, that gets like covered in space goo on an away mission. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then you're not the one who actually solves the problem, but you're just the one who like happened to bring the space goo back to the ship so the doctor could solve the problem. Right, right. You would feel like you got a raw deal, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I feel like it's it's done, it, they're threading a very fine needle, but from everything I've read from the the, the showrunner is that he's a, he's aware that it's a fine needle he needs to thread, which is that we can't, we're not going to make fun of Starfleet. Like right. this show is in canon. These are characters that you have to believe could coexist in Starfleet. If we, if we make it seem like... The the counter example would maybe something be something like that. Maybe the only other example you could think of of Star Trek being comedy is also rel- relatively recent, which is the 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 trouble with Edward, right? The Star Trek short track with the oh, tribbles. Oh yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Like it kind of defies belief that that guy could graduate from Starfleet Academy and uh, get any sort of commission. You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. it defies when we when we see like a next gen the kind of stuff they have to go through to, just to get into the academy, yeah, right? Yeah. Like Wesley had to friggin' drag a guy out of a, a room fire. that was on fire yeah. and he didn't even get in. Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so when you, it does defy belief that someone like that would get into Starfleet. But, so that's kind of the counterexample. You don't want that to be the reaction, right? Right. You want to believe that these people are competent, moral people yes. who belong in Starfleet, yes. but they just don't always have time to care about the little guy, right? Right, right. And this is a ship which is like the least important ship in Starfleet, right? Yes. So the people that are running this ship are probably not going to be the most contented with their lot in life, right? So they're already going to be a little grouchy, right? Right, right. So there are enough mitigating factors there that hopefully you're able to buy into the fact that they're not treating the people that work under them the best that they could without, without feeling like they're complete jerks or don't deserve to be in Starfleet or you want to see them like die on some away mission, right? Yeah. And then you learn at the end that the captain is is Mariner's mother. Mm-hmm. So there's added reason there. And what, the Admiral... Because the first time like... From right. the previous commission that she had was right. her father. Right, Admiral Philomar yes, sounded Admiral like there. Was that, I'm not sure if that, that was, was actually him, but it really him. sounded like Philomar. Oh, man. Um, if not, I'll eat my hat. But, yeah, so there's... Because at first time like, she's assigning... She's assigning an ensign to like spy on, spy on another yeah. ensign. Like this is something I'm like this is, I, weird. This is I've never like seen this. this doesn't seem very starfleet, but it is the kind of thing yep. that sort of an over controlling yet concerned would mother do. would yeah, do, right? Exactly. So that that explains that. 
but you feel like you've got a good you've got a good mix in the main cast, right? You've got Mariner, mm-hmm. who's kind of like a rebellious type, but also clearly really Experience cares. And, capable. and she knows her stuff too. Like yeah. she knows these Starfleet, right? It's kind of like there's kind of like a Michael Burnham thing going on where she's super competent, but she had some mistake in the past. Yeah. Where she got demoted yeah. and assigned to this backwater ship, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So she might have been a lieutenant or a lieutenant commander at some point, but then got busted down mm-hmm. to, you know, scrub plasma conduits or whatever on the Cerritos. Yeah. Um but she clearly knows her stuff and she clearly cares. Like, mm-hmm. And that's the other thing. Like, I feel like the ways in which this show is poking fun at Star Trek are the ways in which the fans have poked fun at Star Trek for a long time. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, the Federation is applauding bureaucracy. Yes. That, like, the whole thing about, like, original series and next gen was they'd fly into a planet, mm-hmm. they'd solve all the problems, and they'd be on to another planet the next week. But right. somebody's got to come in and deal with the follow the, the continuing problems right. like kirk comes in and says i'm going to completely upend your, your civilization it's called democracy you're going to love it mm-hmm. and he flies off to some other planet mm-hmm. and these people's entire society has been upended someone's yeah. got to come in and deal with that right yeah and that's like sanctioned behavior on the part of kirk right like that's the way they let their starfleet captains operate right yeah. Yeah. which is kind of irresponsible when you think about it and so it's got you know yeah it, it is kind of codified starfleet standard operating procedure to kind of like, okay, you're part of the Federation now. Good luck, right? See you in next year's big meeting. And these people are like, wait, so now are you going to like defend us from these other people? Or are you going to like, are we going to get like some, can we get some replicators up in here? Like, can we we get something going on? Somebody's got to come in and and do all that stuff. Right. But that's like, they're the the cleanup crew and this stuff takes a long time, right? They're probably a really long list. And and depending on how nerdy they want to go about it, 2380 you're only a few years after the dominion war right so there's the the fleet has been drastically reduced in size and capacity right there's been massive casualties the federation is reeling right Mm -hmm. um the klingons the cardassians all these other races have suffered major setbacks yep right yep so there's probably a lot of worlds out there that that need federation protection and federation resources more than ever before but the federation doesn't have that to offer to the extent that they did in like their peak of like the next gen times right 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 um you know and we're only a few years away from the romulan supernova which is going to consume even more of their resources that they as they devote all of the ship build shipbuilding and so on to send fleet after fleet to evacuate the romulan empire right Right. so we're right there in the middle it's like one thing after another taxing starfleet's resources so it kind of makes even more sense if you place it in a larger timeline that there'd be you know certain things are going to fall through the cracks and mariner's the kind of a long roundabout way of saying that the mariner is kind of the get stuff done kind right of person she's mm-hmm. like this is not exactly by the books and then you've got boimler who's very much like the rule the rules lawyer of the ship like he's like oh no he knows the regulations Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, we got to do everything by the book. And he's like, but he's like the Starfleet fan, right? She's like, the, she she like she loves Starfleet clearly, and she's you know, yeah, knows all the stuff. But she's been very disillusioned by certain things. Whereas he still has like the idol worship. Right? He's like, oh, Starfleet, yeah. like this is all the cool parts of the ship. And let me tell you, like, oh, I get to go to the bridge, and you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Tendi, who's the Orion, um, basically med student, right? The new the new yep. medical officer in in sick bay and she's all even more like bright-eyed bushy-tailed like she's mm-hmm. supposed to be the young audience surrogate like um uh sort of naive not naive necessarily but she's the optimist of the group right right and then you've got rutherford who 
you're like, oh, he's, he's kind of like the Jordy type, I guess, because he's got cybernetic augmentation and he's an engineer. Mm-hmm. But the thing about him and to hear the, you know, in interviews and stuff is he's like, he's like a sort of a weird hobbyist in a way that Jord, like Jordy was a geek, right? Like Jordy was a yes. super geek in every way, but he was not, he was not a tinkerer necessarily. Like he wasn't a hobbyist. Like this mm, guy, I see what Rutherford. You had had himself cybernetically augmented purely voluntarily. Yeah. It wasn't because he suffered some accident or was born blind or something. He's like, oh, you know what would be cool? To install like this Vulcan computer in my head. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, and we we know from the Star, Star Trek lore mm-hmm. that humanity at this point is like very much against any sort of enhancement, right? Then no genetic manipulation because right. that right. leads to con mm-hmm. and no cybernetic augmentation, mm-hmm. right? Like you never see... And we've been seeing more of it recently. Like there's, there's um, in life saving situations. Well, there's Detmer in Discovery, right? Who after she got, part of right. her face got blown off on the uh, Shenzhou, she That's got right. like the little cyborg Eye thing plane. on her thing. But then what was and the then name? there's Arium, Arium. Right? who was like That's mostly cyborg. So we've been seeing from a tragic accident, and of yeah. course that was a hundred years prior to this. So we have seen. Right? Yes, that's right. right. Mm-hmm. So we have we have seen instances, and of course, Jordy is the canonical example, and then literally Data is a machine who's allowed to serve on the Enterprise. Right. Mm-hmm. So there are instances, but those are edge cases, right? And, and those were, like you say, those were sort of medical interventions, right? right? Mm-hmm. The idea that someone could choose to cybernetically augment themselves is probably something that would be, I, from everything I know about Star Trek, probably something that would be, if not looked down on, then sort of looked askance at right. by humanity at large right it's just not something you do you know what i mean yeah so he's sort of a weird but he's a he's a hobbyist like he's he's the they they describe him as like he's the guy that would stand in line for the new iphone right he's got to have the newest coolest tech because he's just that into tech yeah yeah um you (laughs) so they they each have their own sort of little niches you know and you've got command engineering medical you know you've sort of got the bases covered there too yes and then we get a little I'm bit holding of the, a human heart then we get a little bit of the bridge crew <laughs> where we have the captain and we've got jerry o'connell's sort of very riker-esque or yeah. kirk-esque second that in was command. very good <laughs> and then we've got that massive bajoran like bajoran wharf yes. right? his name is like shrax or something like that if you yeah. look it up yeah. um that guy's super cool looking, and then the yeah. uh, then the Cation. And he held him. He held off the zombies in a fight. Yeah. Then the, then the Cation, the Cation told- chief medical officer, yeah. which is like basically a cat person, sure, who's who appeared in uh, the animated in Star series Trek the, the first mm-hmm. Star Trek animated series. Now we can't just say Star Trek the end. I guess we can. It is the name of the show. Yeah. But it's no longer the only animated series. Right. Um. So yeah, it's, we've got like this cool eclectic main cast, but basically the way they describe it is that. Like, if you think of a standard episode of Next Gen where there was an A plot where they were, like, saving a planet. And then a B plot where, like, oh, Spot is missing or something, right? Sure, yeah. Basically, just invert that. It's like the Zeppo from Buffy or the greatest story never told from Justice League Unlimited. All mm-hmm. the crazy stuff you see every, you know, is still happening. Mm-hmm. But you either don't get to see it. Mm-hmm. It's only referred to. You only hear about it. Or you see it briefly through the perspective of the people that aren't important enough to be helping with it, right? right. So they're going to be doing all the regular Star Trek stuff. They're going to be fighting the Borg. They're going to be doing whatever. But mm-hmm. our guys are like, wait, we're fighting the Borg? When did this happen? You know, and they're not, you might not even see the Borg. Yeah. It's just going to be like, oh, these are the guys that are in charge of going sure and making making sure that they've cleaned up all the nanopro, all the stray nanoprobes, right? After right. a Borg attack, right? Yep. So yeah, I think it's a I think it's an it's a good premise for a show. I think it was a lot of fun. I think the you know the performances were great. I'm much like Harley Quinn, the Harley Quinn animated series. I feel like so much of it is 
the actors just bouncing off of each other and the timing. Like, I find it very hard to believe that especially, and I don't know the names of all the actors yet, but the actors for Mariner and Bormler weren't in the same room or at least recording simultaneously remotely or something because they were just, the way they were bouncing off each other, especially at the end where she declares herself his mentor. Yeah. And they're like, oh, have you heard of Data? Have you, you know, I'm sorry, have you heard of Spock? Have you heard of all this stuff? You yeah. know, I, you're my Chadich now, which is a reference to, yeah. right? Like yeah. Picard and Worf and the way that he represented him That's in, the, in true. front of yep. the Klingon High Council and Gowron. That's so funny. Um, yeah, so the references are there. And of course, the door is open for all sorts of fun cameos. Yep. And they've said they're going to have, you know, what they call legacy cameos. <laughs> but again, they're not just going to have like, oh, here's here's the Enterprise and here's Picard, right? Right. Like, would it make sense for the Enterprise to be anywhere near where this ship is? Probably not. Maybe, but probably not. Yeah. But there are certain characters who it would make more sense for this ship to encounter. And they, the, what they made it sound like is that there are episodes of, say, Next Gen mm-hmm. or Deep Space Nine or whatever, where you meet this one-off or maybe minor recurring character or race that then isn't followed up on. But this would be the ship that would go. So what if we mm-hmm. like some planet from some cool classic one-off next-gen episode Yeah. that we never saw again. But this is the ship that has to go back and follow up with those guys. And they get the actors that were on that next-gen episode to reprise their roles. Like I can't think of any great examples right now, but stuff like that, you know? Right. Like that's the kind of thing they could do. I saw someone say that if you're looking for like legacy characters to bring in like Quark might be a good example. Like you could easily see like. Quark showing up to try to sell them something or whatever, right? Like, yeah. in the way that you couldn't really buy, like, oh, here's Admiral Janeway coming to visit the Cerritos, right? Like, yeah. it wouldn't really make much sense. Um, but they could do, and I, and the one that I feel like writes itself is Q, right? Because oh, that's yes. the one where it'd yeah, be hardest to explain one. why the actor is aged, but all that matters there is the voice. Yep. And the the reasons why Q might choose to torment this crew instead of just going back and finding Picard. Yeah. Are like would be funny and interesting. Like what if he's like, okay, I've tested Picard like fifteen times. He keeps passing my tests. But that's no great like Picard is like the best guy. So yeah. if I mm-hmm. keep testing him, that's not really telling me anything about how great humanity is. Because I've maybe I've just picked the one guy who's always gonna pass the test. I should test the stupidest humans I can find, right? Yes. Like the worst humans on the least important ship and see if they can pass my test, right? Right, right. And that's how, you know, like yeah. I feel like it writes itself at that point. If you want to really have fun, have Q's son show up from that's those what Voyager I was episodes. Say. I was going to say, Q's son. Like maybe Q's son is like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do what my dad used to do. I'm going to pick a ship uh-huh. and that, they're going to be my guys and I'm going to torture these guys <laughs> the way dad tortured Picard. Oh my God. And then, and it just happens to be our the Cerritos, and then Q Senior has to show up. It's like, no, son, Seriously, you don't just you got to no. pick some good humans. You can't deal, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I Leave feel like the riffraff alone. I feel yes. like it would write itself. It's only fun if they're actually good humans. Yeah, I know. Okay, that's that's funny. Oh, I like that idea. Um, and obviously the tone, you know, mm-hmm. like if if he and if Q like snaps his fingers and sends them all to like the Robin Hood times or whatever the way he did, like right. it would fit arguably better with the tone of this show than even though everybody <laughs> loves that next Captain, gen I episode. must protest. I am not a merry man. He breaks the loot. Sorry. <laughs> right. Sorry. Or Troy shoot or, or is it Troy? Troy shoots data with the arrow, right? Or is it Troy or Jordy? I think it's Troy, I, right? Troy's practicing her art practicing her archery and she shoots data with the arrow. I don't know. And he looks down and he's like hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, well, no, so my good. motor functions seem to be <laughs> operational. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we need to watch that one. We need to put um, that on the rewatch. Part. So I feel like, but yeah, like Q sends them all to like, I don't 
know, like King Arthur times or something. Like you could do and bits of animation. You could do anything you, you wanted. You really right? can. Yeah. Like I feel like that's that's the gimme. Like I'd be actually very surprised if Q didn't show up in in the first or second. You season. could send them into the Delta Quadrant and then pop Janeway over and be like here again, and then pop her back out. <laughs> But like yeah, you I could mean, have two funny cameos. Well, if you wanted to have, but then I kind of feel like you're like at that point you're, you're kind of writing towards it. the cameos I as understand. opposed to having the cameos be a bit more organic. But, it, that's a hundred. But if you're true, ever going to have some fun cameos just, just for the heck of it, a Q episode is probably the time to do it. Like that time, like you didn't need him to to bring Riker in no. for that Voyager episode no, where the other was Q just was on trial for his life. You're like, yeah. no, but it that was writing a ra- that was writing. It, into it a made cameo sense right because you wanted someone to be able to speak to the Q and Riker is like one of the people like really right. logistically it should have yeah. been Picard, but they could, probably couldn't get Patrick Stewart. But it would make sense for, for somebody from the Enterprise D to come over and speak to the speak as to like what the Q are like and what their lives are like because the Enterprise crew has got more experience with with it than any other people right so it made a certain amount of sense but it was just kind of at that point it's just it'd be fun to have jonathan frakes on the show that'd right? be a lot of fun yeah um i'm sure they have his number <laughs> do you remember the other who was the other next gen cast member to appear on voyager do you remember Ooh, good question um hold on oh was it the last episode oh actually there were two yeah, I was wondering I'm, if they I, there had was any... one that was. I'm not even thinking of the one that I feel is more obvious. I was thinking of the non-obvious one. The I... obvious one is Troy because she showed up in several episodes with Barkley back oh, in the Alpha Quadrant. Yes, right? that's right. Yes, that's right. But then, the, do you remember the one other one? And, and Data, his voice. He lent his voice. No, he lent his voice to an Enterprise to the last episode of Enterprise, not Voyager. Oh, when Jonathan Frakes was deliberating before going on to the yeah the last episode of or whatever the last was. episode of Enterprise, which was framed as a, a f- <laughs> deleted scenes from the TNG episode Pegasus. Pegasus, yeah. Pegasus. Yeah, I knew it was a P. Um, no, yeah. Jordy showed up in the episode Timeless, the hundredth episode, where future. Harry Kim and future Chakotay are trying to travel back in time and save Voyager from an icy fate. And it's oh. uh, Captain LaForge of the USS Challenger that shows up right. to stop them, right? Captain, so he, huh? they had they just put him in the uniform and put him on like a, a, a screen, set sure. and he's there like on a small screen for five minutes. So it's like they didn't even, you know, yeah, no yeah. set, no makeup or whatever. It's like, here, sit here. Um, but the reason why they kept getting Frakes and the Burton back is because they had offices on the Paramount set because they were directing episodes. Like they were like staff directors on those shows, right? So if you were going to be able to get anybody, you could get them because right. they were there, mm-hmm. right? Eight hours a day or more. Yep. On the on the on the Paramount uh, grounds. So anyway, wow. yeah, it's a bit of a digression, but yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to definitely looking forward to seeing more. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, wow. So. <laughs> Big show today. So if you want to reach out, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our email address, no, I just gave that to you. <laughs> our website is www.smartspodcast.com. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our Twitter handle is at smartspodcast. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. Um, how about... What was that? Uh, Q. Oh, okay. <laughs>